the hell is going on? What's really going on? We said, what the hell happened? You don't have to know what the hell is on it. They, they see what's going on. I don't know what's going on. What is going on? We must find out what is going on. Hi, I'm Mark Thiessen. And I'm Danielle Pletka. Welcome to our podcast, What the Hell is Going On? Danny, what the hell is going on? Well, Mark, what the hell is going on is that we are talking about foreign intelligence surveillance courts. But before we get to that riveting topic, now actually, guys, it is a really riveting topic. It's about you know spying on people in America. First, a word from our sponsor. If you're enjoying our podcast, please subscribe. It doesn't matter what platform you're listening on, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, please do subscribe. It means a lot to us to see who's interested, whether you're interested, what you're more interested in. We get to see all those statistics, so we're really grateful. Go ahead and do it. And uh, And also, if you have any questions for us or topics you want us to cover, just send us an email. You can write us at whatthehell at aei.org. On to spying on Americans. This is about your privacy. This is about your rights. And this is about your protection from the government. And also it's about protecting this country from terrorists. And it's also about protecting this country from a two-year Mueller probe that was chasing a conspiracy theory that Donald Trump had colluded with the Russians. Right. Now, you, you, you know, those of you who don't agree with Mark, and yes, I hear from you, when you talk about Donald Trump, there but for the grace of God goes every single president. Do not lie to yourself in thinking that Donald Trump was special and the FBI was investigating him and Congress was investigating him and that won't happen to the next president no matter what party. You can bet your bottom dollar that if Bernie, I love the Soviet Union, Sanders, becomes the next president of the United States, Republicans are going to go hell for leather into his background, into his affiliations and see whether he was ever a spy for the Soviet Union. And this is the kind of circus that our nation needs to avoid. So look, We had a Mueller probe for two years that started with surveillance that was done under the FISA court. The FISA court is the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court created in 1978. And we're going to get a little bit more information on the history of and what it does from our guest. But after the Mueller probe finished and cleared Donald Trump of any conspiracy with Russia or anyone in the Trump campaign with conspiracy with Russia, not so clear on uh, the obstruction, but that's a topic for another, uh, another day. The inspector general of the Justice Department did a report, and he found that the FBI provided false information, withheld material information that was detrimental to the FBI's case in four FISA applications to surveil a Trump campaign official, Carter Page. And the inspector general basically said not only did they withhold information, but they actually falsified information, took out exculpatory information that would have been detrimental to their case. This is troubling no matter what you think of Donald Trump because the FISA court is set up in a way, because it's an intelligence court, the FBI comes in, the Justice Department comes in and makes a case to the judge. And because there's no opposing counsel there challenging them, they have, as the FISA court judge said, a heightened responsibility for accuracy and for providing full context of information, the court's depending on them. And they abuse that in a way that set our country off on a more than two-year odyssey of this Mueller probe and investigations and eventually even impeachment. And this should be troubling to our country that the Justice Department lied to a court, provided misleading information to a court in order to conduct surveillance on a presidential campaign, whether it was a Democratic administration that did this to a Republican administration or a Republican administration that did it to a Democratic administration, we should all be outraged by it. You know, again, we like to think of ourselves as a country of laws. And one of the criticisms of Donald Trump is that he has a sort of blatant disregard for the rule of law. What we now know from the Department of Justice Inspector General, who, by the way, is an Obama appointee. Yes. Okay, so I want to underscore that, is that the abusive rule of law in this instance actually came during the Obama administration. And he is He, Michael Horowitz, the inspector general at DOJ, is absolutely blistering, caustic in his criticism. Again, you know, it's important to take away from this that this isn't about Donald Trump. It is about the ability of unchecked police power inside the FBI and their ability to go to a classified court in which you, Mark, Danny, 
you know, Alexa, and all of you guys out there are not represented. This is, you know, you think when you think of a court, what you have is, you know, you got your opposing counsel, you got your prosecutor, you got your defense, you got your, you know, plaintiff, you got your defendant, and you got your judge, and sometimes you have a jury. You know, you've got lots and lots of built-in protections. In the FISA court, there are no built-in protections. If the FBI comes in and says this happened, the only protection you have is the judge, and the judge, by default, almost doesn't think that the FBI is engaged in dirty politics. And they were wrong in this case. Right. But now th- let's keep in mind also, though, that the FISA court is a really important institution because its main task is not to investigate presidential campaigns. Its main task is to give the United States and the Justice Department the ability to stop terrorist attacks and deal with foreign intelligence threats to the United States, which include possible terrorist plots. Not just terrorists, also yeah, also I mean, Russian surveillance, yeah, Chinese surveillance, sure. North Korean, you know, bad guys, whatever it is. All of that stuff, but in particular terrorist attacks because the FISA court was reformed and harnessed in the after the 9/11 attacks as an instrument to rapidly give the government the ability to wiretap potential threats to this country and to create some sort of accountability for that. And so, you know, can you imagine how outraged people would be if it turned out that the Bush administration and the Justice Department had provided false information to the surveillance court that had allowed it to unlawfully surveil Americans who had nothing to do with al-Qaeda and were not connected in any way? That's essentially what happened in this case, except it was the Obama administration doing it to people who were unconnected to the Russians. Now, I want to be I want to be fair to the Obama administration here because we do talk about this and, and you know, the president is the boss. But in this instance, these were DOJ decisions. This was based on the infamous Steele dossier, which everybody's heard about. You know, this is the dossier that was prepared uh, at the behest of the Hillary Clinton campaign, the Democratic National Committee, and the Democratic National Committee, and it was a, a basically a, a binder full of dirty deeds done by the Donald, and allegedly uh, done by the Donald. And of course, evidence. and of course, it was prepared by somebody who was a known leaker a known liar and was being paid by the opposition. And the FBI kept this from the judges. So I don't think Barack Obama's to blame here. I, I Plenty of other things I'm happy well, to blame we don't know Obama. That you know, maybe, the, but, maybe the Durham investigation, which is being conducted, which is going into the deeper into this than the inspector general. The inspector general only has purview over the Justice Department. Right. Durham has purview over, he's a career prosecutor, by the way, for those who don't know about the Durham investigation, who is looking into the origins of the Mueller probe and the origins of, of this whole Russia collusion investigation. And he can look at the White House and he can look everywhere. So we we don't know what Durham will find. But the reality is, is that they, so that you raised the Steele dossier, it's really important. This was an unverified, salacious dossier. And James Comey told the American people that it was not the driving force behind these these FISA warrants and behind this investigation. And that, that was, was a only lie. Part, it was only part of a broader mosaic of information that was presented to the court. And this was the, the Obama-appointed Justice Department Inspector General found that that was not true, that it was central and essential to this whole investigation. So without the Steele dossier, there would have been no surveillance of Carter Page. Without surveillance of Carter Page, there would have been no Mueller probe, and our whole history would have unfolded very differently. And so I think we need I doubt, to... I doubt it would have unfolded differently. But yeah, we wouldn't have had to hear about the Mueller probe for two years yep. and, and waste tax dollars on the Mueller probe. I mean, Donald Trump would still have been Donald Trump. Yeah. But so uh, this, this raises a bunch of issues for us to talk about, which is one, the FISA court and its role and what happens now in the wake of this scandal. Mm-hmm. And then two, you know, what reform should we have? of this whole process. Does this work? Does this system work? Are people being protected? Should this power be reposed in the hands of politicals like the president? Should the president be making this decision? You know, should the courts be making this decision? Are there the right checks and balances? Congress is debating this right now, but we have somebody to talk to about this who knows a lot more than Mark and me and understands the details. And it's actually argued before the FISA court, which is a unique qualification. So John Yu is joining us. He's a visiting scholar here at AEI, and uh, he is a professor of law at Bolt Hall at the University of California, Berkeley School of Law. 
He's a prolific author, and I mean prolific. He's he's written about cyber attacks, striking power, how cyber robots and space weapons change the rules for war, just super cool book that he wrote, Point of Attack, Preventative War, International Law, and Global Welfare, and many, many more. He clerked for Justice Thomas on the Supreme Court. He's truly an expert on these issues. The thing I like best about John, though, is that he explains it in a way that isn't super nerdy, is just easy to understand, and he's got some imagination. He's not just done the theory, he's done the practice, but he's also got some imagination about how things can be better. So he's the perfect person to have on, so uh, we're delighted to have him. All right, John, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Mark. Hey, Danny. How are you guys? We're doing great. Where are you now? Are you out in California? I'm in California. It was 70 degrees and sunny. In Berkeley. <laughs> I'm just looking out over the ocean. In right your now. bunker. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a hot tub. As long as the bunker has a hot tub in it, we're all set. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'd watch that series, Hot Tub Bunker. Yeah. Hot Tub Berkeley Bunker. There you go. <laughs> all right. Sorry. All right. Well, John, we're here to talk about FISA, not about your hot tub. Let, let's start with the basics. What is the FISA court? What does it do and how does it work? Okay, well, not to bore the listeners with too much constitutional law, but it's a way to get full surveillance on somebody without having to go through the normal requirements that apply for a normal Fourth Amendment warrant, like the kinds you see on TV, like on Law and Order and so on. The main difference is that the standard for getting one of these warrants is not the usual standard we use for criminal suspects, is that we think someone was involved with a crime or might be about to engage in criminal activity. And the other difference is that it goes through this whole process and involves classified information and a secret judge and a secret court. Now, the main limit on it is that's only supposed to be used when the government is trying to surveil a foreign spy or a terrorist or some other similar threat to the national security. Okay, so let me get this straight. If Mark was plotting to rob the next door uh, Brookings institution. Blow up Brookings. (laughs) If Mark were plotting, let's make it even better. If Mark were plotting to blow up Brookings, that wouldn't be a matter for the FISA court. That would be, you know, the FBI going or even the police going and getting a warrant to listen into his plotting, correct? Yes, that's right. Whereas if... We would need some evidence, some what we call probable cause that he was actually going to engage in that criminal activity. They can't just get a warrant because they think Mark looks suspicious on Fox News, which half of America probably thinks. I would say more than <laughs> half, John. I mean, honestly, have you seen him? But let's say that Mark is working with his friends in Al-Qaeda, and he's interested in getting them to blow up the Brookings Institution because he doesn't really know how to do this. Oh, my God, they're going to be so mad at us. <laughs> laughing out loud. They're great neighbors. They're they're terrific people. So, hey, guys, no, I, over there at Brookings, I'm really, I'm really sorry. Even more ironic because General John Allen, who's the head of Brookings, has actually done his fair share of fighting. But let's say that Mark is working with his friends in Al-Qaeda to do this. All of a sudden, we have a, a different court and a different standard, right? Yes. In fact, actually, the standard could be even lower than we think Mark might be working with Al-Qaeda blood Brookings. All it needs to be is we might think Mark has talked to someone who might be an Al-Qaeda member. doesn't matter what they were talking about or what they were going to do. Then you could get a warrant. Does it matter that, that Mark is different. American? No. So the thing that makes FISA different is that it's not about we think you're about to do something or we think you're about to do something criminal. It's just we think you might be associated with or a member or helping or just talking to. So it has to do with your status, who you are, not necessarily what you're going to do. Once you're in that FISA world then, Yes, then it's completely different how you're treated, what process you get, and so on. What are the ways that the FISA court has helped our national security? What are some of the kinds of cases that are brought before that are essential to protecting the country? I'll give you an example where it failed and where we should have done it is right before 9-11. Right before 9-11, the CIA was watching some of the members of the actual hijacking plots. Some of the people who actually died hijacking those airplanes and crashing them into the Pentagon and the World Trade Center and so on. And two of them had crossed into the United States. And the CIA knew they were in the United States. But they didn't tell the FBI because they didn't think FISA applied. But FISA does apply, even though we didn't know what they were up to, even though we didn't know whether they're going to take flying lessons or they wanted. All we had to know was that they had met associated with, talked with people who are members of al-Qaeda 
that'd be enough to put FISA surveillance on them once they're in the U.S. And of course, so let me also make clear, outside the U.S., you don't need any kind of warrant to surveil someone who's not an American. Everyone else in the world has no Fourth Amendment rights against the government. So we don't require any FISA process or Fourth Amendment process for them. These are only for American citizens or people who are inside the country, because those are the only people who have privacy rights against the government. All right. So let's keep it really basic just for another moment, because I do think that it's important that people understand why the FISA court came into creation. So what is the FISA court? So the FISA court itself is made up of existing federal judges, and they're chosen by the chief justice of the United States. There's usually one in each major city, and they have to take the application. This is also the unusual thing is that the government goes to that judge completely in secret, provides secret information to that judge, classified information. The target never finds out, never has a chance to challenge it, although that's not unusual. You know, initially most warrants are like that. But in this case with FISA, if the warrants continue, the person under surveillance never finds out. And then the FISA court issues this warrant. But again, it's not the really the same kind of warrant that exists for criminal cases, which is 99.9% of all search and surveillance done in the country. The other thing that's different is that there is a FISA court in Washington, D.C. And it's actually, it's strange, it's actually in the Justice Department building, not in the federal courthouse down by 3rd and Constitution Avenue. So I've been one of the few people who, as a lawyer, practiced before that court. It's a metal vault. It's at the top floor of the Justice Department. It's got like those three-inch steel doors. By the way, structurally, I don't just think this is a good idea to put the vault at the top floor of the building. I think <laughs> if there were anything happened, it would just crash through the five floors right to the basement. <laughs> but, you know, you go in there, you got to put, it's like a skip. You got to put all your electronic equipment down. You basically can only have pen and paper in there. And then the judge will sit in that vault and take the classified information, decide whether to grant a warrant. And I would think most of the FISA warrants that are granted are done through Washington, D.C., All right. So we know what the FISA court is. When did it come into being, by the way? It came into being in the late 70s? Yes, it was passed as part of the Watergate reforms. Before FISA, presidents would just do this on their own authority. The earliest example people often cite is Abraham Lincoln during the Civil War just said, yeah, go ahead, wiretap the Confederates' telegraph wires, you know, intercept their Morse code. I don't know if people know what that is, but once upon a time, before voice, people would just tap out messages and so between that, then between Lincoln and Nixon, presidents would just order this in the national security interest. It was considered a species of military intelligence, which is called signals intelligence, it was just the interception of the enemy's electronic communications. Because of the Watergate abuses, as you point out, Danny, in the late 70s, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act is passed as part of all these other reforms that were intended to restrict presidential power. And so agencies have to go to the FISA court and they have to make the case to a judge about the importance of this particular surveillance. And this happens, what, how many times a year? I think that's still classified, but I think, but easily thousands. So just to give example of the, even before 9-11, the primary use was for spies. So you would think every phone number in the Russian embassy had a FISA warrant on it. You know, every Russian government official, every Chinese government official in the country, you would think would have a FISA warrant on surveillance on because it's about their status, right? They are foreign agents in the country. There are going to be thousands of people like that even before you get to 9-11. And then after 9-11, of course, it really spikes because we're worried about ongoing and future terrorist attacks in the country. Let's fast forward to 2016, when the FBI went to the FISA court to seek surveillance of Carter Page, who had been a member of the Trump campaign, which are the FISA warrants that led, ultimately snowballed into the Russia investigation. Walk us through what happened and what what abuses took place, because the uh, inspector general of the Department of Justice issued a pretty scathing critique of how the Justice Department handled this. Yeah, good question. Also, we should keep in mind that this is all still under investigation by Mr. Durham, the U.S. attorney up in Connecticut, there still might be criminal charges that come out of all this. So we don't have a full accounting of the facts. But if you look at the IG report, congressional hearings, essentially what happened, just to boil it down, is that the government used evidence that had been fed, I think, by the Clinton campaign kind of acting with people at the Justice Department who were very suspicious of Russian contacts with the Trump people. 
to get a FISA warrant. So the, you know, and that's why people are fighting so much to see the actual FISA warrant application, to see what was in it. How much did it rely on the information in the Steele dossier? Was it really enough? If you could compare it to the other kinds of FISA warrant applications, was it really a reach? Was it a stretch? Or was the Steele dossier and all that information just a small part of a broader amount of evidence? Now, I've, I've seen FISA warrant applications. Very few people have their you know, heavily classified because if you think about it, they have all kinds of kind of raw intelligence in them where they say, oh, Thiessen, we saw him in Berlin talking to this guy we know works for Russian intelligence. That might be enough to get a FISA a warrant uh, application started and then you would try to get more to satisfy the court. So we don't really know exactly how much was in there, but it doesn't look now that we know what was in the Steele dossier, a lot of people, including myself, would say, that really seems weak. That doesn't seem like enough to get a FISA warrant because Page, for example, is an odd fellow, I think, Let's take a sidebar for everybody and just quickly remind, what's the Steele dossier? This is the file that was compiled at one time, at least, at the behest of the Clinton campaign, payment to an organization that brought this guy, this former British spy, Christopher Steele. He compiles a, a dossier on Donald Trump and Donald Trump's associates alleging a whole series of... Salacious uh, and unverified allegations. Right. So this is the Steele dossier, and this information from this file, and perhaps more, comprises the information that is brought by the FBI to the FISA court. Is that right, John? Yeah, and here's why it makes a difference. You could read it one of two ways. You could say, well, now, the FBI, uh, when they go to the FISA court with the Justice Department, they're supposed to be telling the court things they believe to be true. These are the facts we have. These are the facts we think are true. And that's why it justifies this warrant. That's why we think Carter Page might be a Russian spy or working for the Russians. So this is it's a judgment call, and it's hard to recreate when you look back at it. Did the FBI agents and the Justice Department officials look at the Steele dossier and just believe it, <laughs> stick it in the warrant application but they did a sloppy job. I think that's the best case for the Obama Justice Department. The worst case for the Justice Department is, oh, they just took it, the handoff of this information because they just were so willing and happy to believe that Trump was being influenced with the Russians that they didn't even bother. They didn't even think about checking the information in the Steele dossier, and they deliberately fed misleading information to the court. In either case, that's not how it's supposed to work. You're supposed to sit there and double check if, for example, if we saw Thiessen talking to some Al-Qaeda guy in Berlin, we'd want more information. How do we know that guy was really an Al-Qaeda guy? Show me that, you know, here's other information shows Thiessen was in Berlin. Here's a photograph of Thiessen meeting with the guy. You know, you just want alleged, you would hopefully have lots of information to back it up. And the FISA court should ask for that. You know, a skeptical judge, uh, you know, this is an awesome power he's giving to the government or she's giving to the government. You know, a FISA judge would say, you know, show me the proof behind this. I don't need to take it at face value, especially, uh, and this is the bigger point, especially when it involves surveilling the major opposition party's presidential candidate. If you go back to Danny's first question about how did this start, when did it start? The whole point of it was to make sure the Nixon Watergate abuses would never occur again. And so the idea was the reason you have FISA is so a president couldn't use national security surveillance for domestic political purposes, like surveilling the other party's presidential candidate. <laughs> but the statute doesn't say that because you wouldn't think you'd have to write that down again. Well, I mean, we I, think I, it would be I, assumed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I worked on the Patriot Act. I drafted several parts of the Patriot Act regarding FISA. You know, the big overhaul of FISA occurred in the Patriot Act. It never occurred to me that we had to stick in a sentence that said, oh, by the way, don't surveil the Democratic Republican Party's presidential candidate. So the Justice Department Inspector General Michael Horowitz issued a report, and the FISA judge, Rosemary Collier, based on that report, issued a stinging rebuke of the FBI, basically saying that the FBI provided false information, withheld material, which was detrimental to their case knowingly. In one case, they falsified information about Carter Page, leaving out the fact that he had been a CIA source, which strengthened their case that he was working as a foreign agent effectively. 
And this was a pretty stinging rebuke. The inspector general found 17 errors and omissions, including that what James Comey said, that the Steele dossier was just part of a broader mosaic of information presented to the court, was not in fact true, that it was central and essential to their case, to the FISA course. Walk us through what the inspector general found and why it's so troubling. Well, you know, it's a very long report, one of a series of reports going into how all this started and all the investigations in the Trump camp. We haven't seen uh, the end of it. But you're right. So the government, what it's been saying is that ah, this Carter Page stuff, this Steele dossier stuff, tiny part of what we presented to the court. And, you know, there's a big universe of other information. And so maybe the Steele dossier is like a footnote in, you know, a 10, 15 page FISA warrant application. But as you say, Mark, the inspector general doesn't think that's the case when he's done the interviews, looked at the applications themselves. It doesn't sound like there was any other corroborating evidence, which makes sense because now we know what was in the dossier was actually false. So there couldn't be any corroborating evidence. And as you also say, Carter Page is an unlikely person to pick to surveil as some kind of Russian agent because he had been approached by Russian intelligence. This is all in the horror support. He had been approached by Russian intelligence. They tried to recruit him. And actually, Carter Page worked with the FBI and the CIA to bust up that Russian plot years ago. So if anything, Page was a cooperating CIA asset, if not an actual, I mean, he was a Navy intelligence officer in his former career. Now, but that said, Page has been very open. He's very pro, he thinks America should adopt a pro, more pro-Russian foreign policy and so on. He has business interests and travel back and forth there. But you can see where the FISA court judge's statement that you just mentioned, Mark, reinforces the IG report, because you wouldn't expect to see the FISA court judge say that. They rarely say anything in public unless they think that there was some kind of misconduct that just wasn't negligent or uh, forgetful, that it was something intentional. And the real question, I think, boils down then to did these members of the FBI, members of the Justice Department who work on FISA, was this deliberate? Was it because they really thought they had to stop Trump? Or was it just part of this assumed mindset? Uh, of course, it had to be Russian contacts. And so in their zeal to discover them, they sort of went off the rails of normal procedure. Horowitz thinks it's the latter. He thinks that FBI and Justice Department did sort of ignore the, the rails that were put there by FISA and by past attorney generals to make sure the government didn't abuse this great power. I'm, I'm sorry to see it because I, you know, I know the people who do this. And it's uh, a lot of the court's trust the FBI and the Justice Department to be truthful and to be honest. And the IG report shows that they were not. Well, in the case of one of the problems with the FISA warrant where they actually falsified the information and left out exculpatory information, edited out of an email, that can't be negligent. That's intentional. Yeah. The, the question with that guy is a particular guy changed the computer records is why he did it. So, so it's not clear from the IG report exactly why he did that, but that guy's in a lot of trouble <laughs> because, uh, and this is one of the checks that Pfizer tried to create is when the FBI, the Justice Department, you know, they testify the court, they say some of the things are under oath. And so, right, it's just like lying to the federal official, uh, lying to the federal court if you deliberately did it. And this guy who went back and falsified uh, the records, it sounds like he might be in a lot of trouble because as you say, Mark, why would you deliberately falsify and change your computer records after the fact in order to it sounds like he was trying to cover up something he'd done. Now, the thing is, that guy is a fairly low official. So, you know, the question, and this is, I'm sure, what Durham is looking to is how high above him it went. So, you know, obviously, Donald Trump has made the case that there's a vast conspiracy here. And uh, Bill Barr, uh, the attorney general, has not agreed with the president, but he has gone so far as to empower not just the inspector general investigation, which we saw the first part of in December of last year, but also this ongoing prosecutor uh, Durham's investigation. Now, the inspector general, Michael Horowitz, was appointed by the Obama administration, so he's not a Trump guy, so, you know, unbiased. But he didn't find that any of this was motivated by political bias. In other words, it wasn't an effort to defeat Donald Trump. No, he didn't it was, say that. He said that it, the quote from him he testified is, it's unclear what the motivations were. On the one hand, gross incompetence, negligence. On the other hand, intentionality. He, did, he basically, Yeah, he, he left them both out there. You're right, Mark. Yeah. Now, the other investigation 
is also looking at this. You know, again, I want to kind of pull this out of the context of Donald Trump, because I think that when we talk about Trump, it clouds everybody's visions. It's true. I mean, you know, the Trump derangement syndrome is, is everywhere. Apparently in the FBI, too. Well, and we right, and we know that because we've read James Comey's book. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but what I'm wondering about is why why should Mark Thiessen be worried about this? Why should, you know, average Joe Blow be worried about this? Why is the reform of the FISA court something that is so important to average Americans, not just to the president and his vendetta against the FBI for the Russia investigation? It's a good question, Danny, because the thing that worries me is that this one misuse of FISA to surveil Trump's campaign could, I think, energize that side of the debate that wants to get rid of FISA altogether. You see commonly hear people like Senator Rand Paul and people like that who want to just get rid of FISA, want to try to get rid of surveillance of terrorists altogether and have it all just considered crime. The problem is that I think to protect the country's security from foreign attack, you need to have something like FISA, though by my druthers, I would just have it rather go back to uh, the president's ordering it and then them take, they're taking responsibility for it. But uh, let me give you an example. Again, with FISA, you are surveilling people, targets, uh, status. Sometimes you're not even following specific known people like that you can name, which is another thing you need for a criminal warrant. You need an actual person's name and their conduct. With FISA, you can try to surveil places, uh, organizations, people you think might be uh, potential terrorists, but you're not investigating them because they've already done something criminal. That's the main thing. FISA, like signals intelligence in the military, is designed to surveil people and events for what they might do in the future. Criminal warrants, the things that are outside FISA, are you're surveilling people because they already did things in the past. They already took some criminal activity. They've already taken steps to conspire. With FISA, you're not trying to catch people for crimes that already happened. You're trying to stop people from launching future attacks on the country. You know, it's going to be probabilities and risks and less defined, but you still need to be able to do it. So my worry is that we're going to overreact to what happened with Trump and narrow Pfizer surveillance so much that it puts us back into the box we were in before 9-11, where the government and uh, the FBI just aren't, were afraid, and the Pfizer court were afraid to use Pfizer properly. And that's what one of the few things I can look at that would have stopped the 9-11 attacks. Just to contextualize this for folks, so the FISA, the original Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act is passed in the 70s. It is then amended by the Patriot Act after 9-11 to broaden it. Those changes expired at the end of last year, and they were extended just until March of this year. What are the changes? What's the debate that's going on here? So it's interesting, as you say, it has this Patriot Act amendments where have a sunset provision on them that require their periodic renewal. And I think in the last two renewals, it's roughly about every four years or so, there have been these big fights actually to try to narrow FISA significantly. So I think, Danny, you're suggesting what I think will happen is that this next go-round is going to be an opportunity for people to try to narrow FISA. So one of the main fights has been over uh, a different program I worked on, which is what's called the Terrorist Surveillance Program. And that was done outside of FISA initially, and then it was brought into FISA. And this is the idea, can you try to intercept streams of communications coming in from abroad by email, phone call? You know, within, say, a certain stream of emails, say, right after 9-11, the government just said, we're going to try to intercept all emails coming from Afghanistan into the United States. And we're going to try to sift through it to try to detect patterns of communication that look like they're from terrorists. But you don't know any specific phone number, or email addresses, actually Osama bin Laden's email address. So you're just searching through this huge haystack for the needles. Initially, that wasn't done under FISA because you couldn't get a warrant because you had no particular target in mind. You couldn't name a specific person. You couldn't name a specific phone number or email address. So uh, one of the things that the Patriot Act amendments did in their periodic renewal is to bring that whole program under FISA and the FISA judges authorize it. That's what people have been fighting about. It's not really part of 
the things we've been talking about with Trump and Carter Page and so on. But that's, I think, really what's at stake is in this new age of communications for the FISA statute in the courts to allow that kind of surveillance to continue. Because that's, I think, maybe the most important kind of electronic surveillance that the government can undertake to stop future terrorist attacks. But that the whole fight about Trump and Carter Page and the Steele dossier, that might provide people the political grounds to try to get rid of this other program, which they've been trying to get at for about eight, 10 years now. Or just get rid of the FISA court entirely, which is some have proposed. Yeah, look, the, the way it was, you know, before Nixon, you know, maybe Nixon was a one time only or a rare case. But before Nixon, what would happen is that presidents would order its use but you couldn't really use it in court to prosecute anybody. The point was you would gather this intelligence, the president would order it under his own authority, and you would use it to try to stop a direct and immediate attack on the country or stop a dire threat to the national security. And if it had to become public, if it had to be used in court, then the president would have to take personal responsibility for it. And he could appoint, see, if you think about the FISA court, it's a great responsibility shifting mechanism. Every Look what's going on now, everyone could say, Oh, it was the FBI. It was those FISA judges. And so it's not really President Obama and Loretta Lynch, the attorney general under President Obama, or Eric Holder, the previous attorney general, who's responsible. The FISA court system diffuses responsibility by shifting the blame to the bureaucracy. So if the and, FISA court didn't uh, exist, courts. Barack Obama would have had to order the surveillance. Right. He would have had to order the surveillance himself personally. And then, and his national security, and, you know, Susan Rice and the attorney general, and they would be responsible for it. And I think that would, I mean, imagine what Trump would make of that. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, but that's, that's how it used to work. So here's the thing, you know, that President Trump is always accused of doing untold damage to our democratic institutions, right? But in this case, it's his foes who did enormous damage to our institutions. I mean, first of all, Judge Collier, the FISA judge, said in her letter to the Justice Department that this abuse calls into question whether the information contained in other FISA applications is reliable. So the result will be is that the court will now be much more skeptical of the presentations that the Justice Department makes to the court, not just on this, but in terrorist cases and everything else. And it could slow down, you know, in a case where we're trying to capture a terrorist, stop a terrorist attack on our country, that could be deadly. And then second, it gives ammunition to the critics of the existence of the FISA court and the whole FISA process to try and undermine it. So, you know, it seems to me like they've done a lot more damage to our institutions through this whole process than Trump ever did. Uh, you know, it might have a good long-term effect. If you look at the longer constitutional picture, what happened is, you know, we give a lot of power to these bureaucracies. And you can look at Comey is a good example of this, and FISA, and maybe what's happened with, uh, you know, Ukraine, the National Security Councils, you saw like the civil service sort of rise up against Trump. Uh, it's very interesting. And what Trump, you could say, is trying to do is sort of re-exert uh, democratic control over these bureaucracies, and they're trying to stop him. When you talk about impeachment, you hear talk about the interagency process. That's just bureaucracy versus, you know, Trump. I don't agree with his foreign policy, but he was elected to carry out this foreign policy. And you see this struggle, and this is yet another example of it. So you're right. In the short term, what you could see is not necessarily collapse, but a, a level of distrust and then a reduction in the effectiveness of FISA. But maybe that might prompt us to rely less on these bureaucracies and put more democratic control over all this policymaking that's been going on. Sometimes it seems to run on autopilot. You definitely can see in the attitude of Comey and, and certainly the attitude of the sort of FISA bureaucracy is that they know best how to protect the national security and that the selections with politicians and dirty politics was sort of beneath them and even something they had to observe, you know, sort of a, but then there's this question, who guards the guardians is certainly the question here. And so in the longer term, you worry about this bureaucracies are gaining so much power in the national security area that it's not ultimately responsible to anyone who's elected. I think you make a, a good point. For a lot of us, the notion that a court exists and that a process exists and that law enforcement has to, in fact, prove things to that court is actually reassuring. Because when you think about a person like Donald Trump having sole authority over such warrants, you can only imagine what Donald Trump would do. Uh, I mean, 
at least I could only imagine what Donald Trump could do. You know, it, it could be everybody. It could be anybody. It could be Bernie. It could be anybody he doesn't like. It could be, you know, Wolf Blitzer at CNN. You never know what is passing through the president's mind, and he has certainly proved himself enormously, let's say, grandiose in his interpretation of his own authority. On the other hand, as you say, who's watching the watchers, that is really, really frightening. And the FISA court has attempted, and the FBI through it, to destroy the lives of two people who worked on the Trump campaign. I don't give a damn whether people don't like them. They weren't Russian agents. So, you know, this is kind of what we need to weigh in the balance. Is there any better third way? Is there some way of doing this that doesn't empower the deep state and doesn't empower capricious people like, you know, Donald Trump or even Susan Rice, who used her authorities unbelievably inadvisedly when she was national security advisor? It's a good point. Also, one one other possibility that could occur we haven't discussed is what if the courts, the judges just say, we're not going to do this anymore. You know, no matter what FISA laws we pass, no matter what amendments are added, the judges could just say, find somebody else <laughs> to issue your window dressing after the fact legitimization of all this stuff you're doing. So that's also something that could end up happening. And that maybe that's also what this order from the FISA court might foreshadow. Uh, you need the cooperation of the judges to make this work. And they don't have to cooperate if they don't want to. They could say, we think all this is unconstitutional. If you want to go back and do surveillance, you and President Congress figure out. So that I could see a different approach. So one thing that comes to mind, you know, and a lot of people haven't thought about what could replace FISA. So you have the previous Watergate system, pre-Watergate system, which does, as you're right, Danny, opens a possibility of a president misusing the power for his own personal ends. The FISA system does seem to be open to abuse by bureaucracy. So, you know, one area that does seem somewhat successful that people don't talk about that much in this context is what happened after Iran-Contra, where you created this system that really, for the regulation of covert action, which really relies on cooperation between the president and Congress, right? where, as you know, if uh, the CIA wants to carry out a covert action, they have to reduce it, the president reduces it to a finding, the president signs it, and then the top leadership of Congress is briefed on, the intelligence committee is briefed on it, doesn't call for judicial review, and the implicit idea is that the president and Congress are in harmony about it. That's really the check on an out-of-control president. And if Congress doesn't like it, they can cut off the funds for it. They could make it public. They could use it to embarrass or politically attack the president. But I think a lot of people think that covert action system that was agreed upon after Iran-Contra seems to work pretty well. From what I saw, it seems to work pretty well. Maybe that's something we have to move to is something not based on the courts being the check, but the president and Congress checking each other. That's a fascinating idea. Sounds like a good op-ed for you, John. One thing you could do is in this FISA process, you know, the, this is not unusual, right? When the government shows up to get a warrant, even in the criminal case with the Fourth Amendment there, you don't ask the defendant to show up and oppose the warrant because he's supposed to be under surveillance and not know about it. You know, you don't tell, you know, Vito Corleone that you're, oh, will you show up so we can explain why we want to listen in on your phone calls so that you won't use a public telephone? So, you know, what you could do instead is appoint somebody. They could work for the government, as it were, and have the necessary security clearances. And it would be their job to show up at every FISA warrant application just to present the other case to try to poke holes in the government's case. And that sort of a, a B team, a, a B team kind of a thing, red team, B team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like exactly, like a B team. And then Nunes could have given that person all of his reports and findings, and then that person could have used them. So what the FISA court? I mean, I know those judges. What they would say is, we don't take notice of what congressmen and congressmen say against each other. That's politics. If you want to actually make a difference, you have to reduce it into a brief and submit it in a case. Now, the problem is that the cases are all secret, so Nunez couldn't know how to do that. But if you had this person whose job it was to always be representing the defendant, no matter who it was, then that would have given Nunez the ability to make sure the FISA court knew about what was really going on. But you're quite right. I think Nunez has been vindicated, but he didn't give a lot of reason back then to believe he was being credible because of the way he was acting in public. (laughs) 
There you go. Yeah, and that's part of a broader problem, isn't it? That everybody, too many people in this entire episode have discredited themselves and the systems within which they work, whether it's Comey or McCabe or the Strzok and, and, and Page woman inside the FBI or congressional Republicans, congressional Democrats. It has really besmirched a lot of names and a yeah. lot of institutions. And, you know, you see, a, you see a lot of people going after Barr now. That a lot, you know, there was just some letter issued by a thousand former Justice Department officials calling him bar to resign. I think they really don't understand what's going on, which is the best thing for the Justice Department and the FBI after all this is for Barr and Chris Ray to go in and clean house, much in the way the houses was cleaned after Watergate, because that's the only way to make sure that the institution stays independent and has integrity. Because say Barr leaves then the White House is going to do it. <laughs> that could be disastrous, right? The bar, you know, if you were really a liberal, you were really worried about the independence of the Justice Department, you would want Barr, who was Attorney General before, to be the one who engages in the reforms rather than throwing it over to Trump and for all the reasons that Danny just gave. Yeah. Oh, what a tangled web we weave. Well, John, you've helped us untangle a lot of it, and our, our listeners are grateful because uh, we all understand the situation, the system and the situation a lot better now, thanks to you. Thanks a ton, John. Oh, yeah. Anytime, guys. It's fun. So, Danny, I don't normally agree with Rand Paul, but <laughs> let me read you something that Rand Paul uh, wrote that I think you will agree with, which is people often talk about the Russians being involved in our election. I'm equally alarmed at having the intelligence community interfering with our elections and deciding winners and losers. You know, maybe not the intelligence community, but people in the FBI lied misled a court and started this whole uh, whole down this whole path of this Russia probe. What do you think? I'm actually racking my brains to think if there was ever a moment I agreed with Rand Paul about anything, including the weather outside and the colors on the American flag. No. The fact is that libertarians, and I won't go after him specifically, libertarians in general believe that our government is just as bad as the Russian government and just as bad as the Chinese government. They believe that all governments are equally, you know, on the same plane. And I think that's garbage. You know, I guess if I had to choose between somebody interfering in my elections, yes, I'd rather have the FBI interfere. Well, I'd rather have nobody interfere. Well, obviously. Yeah. I mean, obviously. But, you know, the reality is the Russians are bad guys. And I want to say something else, actually, in defense of those who worried about this. Part of the problem with the Trump campaign was that because we had so many candidates, what, like, 4,000 candidates, kind of like the Democrats had until recently, 4,000 candidates running for the presidential nomination. The experts were spread far and wide. And Donald Trump was the runt of the litter. He was out there. You remember, he was sort of the joke candidate. He was never going to win. And and we were certainly all going to lose once he became the nominee until we realized at 10 o'clock that night that, that, that he was going to win. But as a result, he ended up with this hodgepodge of people working for him who were motivated by a whole variety of things, among them Obama haters, right, like Michael Flynn and, you know, Jim Mattis, but people who had very serious military careers behind them, but also people who were grifters and hangers-on. And I put people like Carter Page and, and others in that category. And let's be real about this. Part of the challenge here is that Carter Page is very pro-Russia, does make excuses for Russia, and a lot That's of the a people... On, no, no, of course not. And I would defend somebody's right to be stupid about Russia exactly. to the hilt. The problem is that Donald Trump did a lot of things that exacerbated this situation. Does that excuse the Russia probe? Absolutely not. Absolutely Does not. that excuse the FBI lying to the FISA court? Absolutely not. Does that excuse the unmaskings that Susan Rice did of intelligence in the National Security Council? Absolutely not. None of the above. On the other hand, I just want to underscore that we were all very worried about yeah. who was going to be advising Donald Trump and what his position was going to be on Russia. As with every single freaking thing over the last three years, Donald Trump has made everything worse. Oh, stop. It's I'm so sorry. true. You can't blame him for this. I'm yes, sorry. He no, made it can't. worse. No, you know what, he Danny? made it worse. I'm sorry. But you know what? I wrote a column about this early on in the process, and I said it's entirely possible that Donald Trump is just wrong about Russia, that it's no, there's no yes, nefarious, that off. he was not being paid off, that he was not collaborating with Vladimir Putin. He just doesn't have a, the right view of Russia. And that is wrong. That is a problem for our national security. 
ironically, the Mueller probe has probably pushed him into a position where he has probably the best Russia policy of any president in recent times since Ronald Reagan, because he has been tougher than anyone on Russia, because it was great evidence to show that he wasn't colluding with Russia. So in a way, our Russia policy has benefited from this, but it is not a crime to be wrong on Russia. It's, it is not a crime to but think everything that Vladimir he Putin said, your partner. He made it he Stop made blaming it the victim. I'm sorry. I'm, no, I'm not blaming no, the you victim. are. You are. That's not fair. What our country just went through with this probe is unacceptable. To have the FBI mislead a court, get warrants that two of which now have the Justice Department has now said were invalid. So we did invalid surveillance of an American citizen for no good reason, which led directly to two years of investigations into a conspiracy theory, a conspiracy theory, which is that Donald Trump colluded and conspired with the Russian government to steal our democracy. His presidency was had this cloud hanging over it. I grant you that he made it worse. I See, you but do no, agree. No, but it's not to blame for it. He, I he, didn't say but, he was know, to blame. I said he made it worse. But, but I will did. tell you this is that I understand why he was so frustrated during the whole Mueller probe, because he knew he didn't do it. Yeah, I get and, it. You know, I get it. Okay, you're right, he didn't do it. And there's plenty not to like about Donald Trump with the, without the Russia probe, believe me. But, and, and again, I want to underscore, I don't like, you know, the FBI being in Americans' shorts any more than, than you or Rand Paul, to be perfectly frank about this. The whole episode is appalling and outrageous. All I'm saying is that Donald Trump who was a victim of this, of the illicit witch hunt that he likes to call it. It was a witch hunt. It was a witch hunt, but he made it worse. He made it worse with the way he acted. He made it worse with the how he responded. He made it worse with almost everything that he did in response. Because if he was going to be exonerated, he was going to be exonerated. And in the end, he was exonerated. And at what cost? What cost has this imposed? Yeah. And did he make it worse? He did. I don't disagree with you that he made it worse, but he's not to blame. He's the victim here of this whole saga. And I will tell you that the— We've gotten off the FISA topic, too. No, we're not, because I'm going to bring it right back to the FISA topic. You're so which good. Is, which is that not only did these people at the Obama Justice Department mistreat American citizens, set us off on this whole course with the Mueller investigation, they also undermined the FISA court, which is an important institution for our national security. Yeah, no, that security. I agree with wholeheartedly. And they, I think we made that case pretty well with John Yu. I really liked, by the way, just to end on this, I really liked John's suggestion. I agree, you know, the system of notifications on covert operations works pretty well. I also would note we don't see a lot of leaking about covert operations, even though it's done in consultation with Congress. There's actually a lot of maturity in Congress about it. I don't, bizarrely, as, as, as bizarre as that may seem to everybody who's listening, I just, I think that was, that's a worthy thing to think about. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Well, let's end on that moment of agreement. On that beautiful, congenial note. Hey, if you guys have ideas, comments, whatever it is, let us know. Don't hesitate. And, uh, and don't forget to subscribe and review us. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Take care. And our team here at AEI is Alexa Santry, Matt Winesett, Jen Moretta, and Macy Heath. Let us know what topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing us at whatthehell at AEI.org. Or you can reach us on Twitter. I'm at D. Pletka. And I'm at Mark Thiessen. That's Mark with a C. Please rate and review the podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe, share it, comment on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.